are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Then he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had changed the water into wine. Now there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my little boy dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the words that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. As he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. So he asked them the hour when he began to recover, and they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he himself believed, along with his whole household. Now this was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. Thanks be to God for the words of Scripture. All it takes is faith and trust and a little bit of pixie dust. These are the instructions given to three children in the opening scene of Peter Pan. They're instructions for flying. Faith and trust and pixie dust. In the scene, Peter Pan, who we all know, the troublemaking, silly, brave, flying boy and his sidekick, Tinkerbell, have just arrived to the bedroom of children Wendy, John, and Michael. And to convince the kids to come back to Neverland for grand adventures and storytelling, first, Peter has to teach them to fly. So after initially watching Peter Pan fly, out of sheer willpower, the kids kick themselves into the air, desperately trying to lift their way up the way Peter can with such ease all around his bedroom. But they drop again and again, landing back on their bedroom floor. But then Peter remembers. Dust. So he snags Tinkerbell. And and almost using her like a salt shaker, sprinkles pixie dust over the kids. And immediately, they start to rise from the floor, floating, fluttering, flying. We can fly! We can fly! They yell as they glow, and pixie dust is swirling all around them. And they drift out the window towards the stars. It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it, 
to have this kind of magical visitor or a big adventure on the horizon. It'd be wonderful to be sprinkled with that same little glitter when we needed it most. Our scripture reading today tells the story of a different boy in a very different miraculous circumstance. A boy at home and near death and his dad's desperate attempts to save his life. The man leaves his child's side and travels far from home to approach Jesus, begging him to heal his son. And without much extravagance or glitter or even going to the boy's bedside, Jesus provides this sign that reveals his power and his compassion. Just like water into wine, Jesus turns death into life. It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it, for this to always be the case. For what happens in this story of a desperate dad and a dying boy. I know this desperation. I have witnessed this kind of deep, daring desperation for survival again and again of parents searching for anything, anyone that might help their child live, too. As Charlie said, I'm the pediatric chaplain at the Children's Hospital, just two miles from here. We're a pediatric trauma center, which means that all over the state, any major or life-threatening injury or accident comes into our emergency room. We have a level four NICU, which means the most complex newborns come for treatment or testing or surgeries. We have a pediatric intensive care unit, an oncology unit, a cardiology and cardiothoracic surgery program. I see Dr. Nick in the hallway all the time. We have a burn unit, brain surgery and organ transplant programs, all dedicated to the service of healing babies children, teenagers. We can do so much. Most children get better. Most children go home. There are parades and dance parties and Lego towers, and we even have two golden retrievers on staff. And despite expertise and the very best, most skilled efforts, despite the incredible advancements in medicine and science and public health, despite the desperation of parents and all the hope and prayer and research in the world, some children die. It may be the most profound grief to lose a child. There is no dark night of the soul quite like a parent or a sibling, or a grandparent saying goodbye to a little life, a life that just got started or barely got to be. My job at the hospital in these moments is to try and help. Mostly I'm a steady, calm presence who can hold a family's grief and listen to a child's story. I can help parents think about what most makes you feel like a parent and what most helps your kid feel like a kid. Like affirming that it's not silly or unimportant to read Harry Potter 
whether your kiddo can hear you or not. It's not silly to make sure that your child is wearing their favorite pajamas, even if they might not make it through the day. It's actually exactly what's important. I help parents make major decisions about what paths forward make sense and when the only pathway leads to them holding their baby. I help by finding glimmers of hope and connection. I was supporting a family whose newborn had died unexpectedly. And her sister had come into the unit. She was about seven years old. She came to say goodbye. And after her visit, the girl and her grandma went over to one of our family lounges to take a break from the room, and the girl was coloring. So I went in, and I sat down with them, and I introduced myself. I said, I'm Chelsea, and I'm, I'm here to help in the hospital when things feel scary or sad. I asked the young girl if she had any questions or if anything was on her mind. And she said no and continued coloring. But in a moment of quiet, she looked up at me and asked, I'm still a big sister, right? In an emergency, sometimes we only have moments. And my role then is to make sure a child's family is there so that in those final moments of life, instead of all the noise and the beeping and the flurry, that child hears their parent's voice saying the only thing they know for certain, I love you, I love you, I love you. I recently worked closely with a family whose little boy after death became an organ donor, giving other children an opportunity at life again. We spent many days in conversation together in our ICU as they awaited testing, placement, and next steps. These are agonizing days for a family. And that included this patient's young brother who visited every day at his bedside. He was watching and waiting and observing everything that was going on for days and days. He was playing his brother's favorite music. But the days were long. So long that one afternoon, the brother looked over at the nurse who'd also been there for days and said to her, Hey, lady, I bet you're getting kind of sick of this. The boy was sick of this. Wouldn't it be wonderful to stop all this? To work hard enough or believe strongly enough or pray or hope or beg or just be so sick of it that time would stop. That dying would be no more like in the story of the boy, he lives. That it always happened the way we wanted it to. But we can't demand miracles. And this story isn't a guidebook for how to always have the same outcome. From no fault of our own and no flaw of God, sometimes death comes, even for the youngest among us. 
facing it will break your heart. Many of us know this all too well. And in Lent, and always we remember that we are people whose hearts are tender enough to break. In Lent, we face our own mortality and the mortality of those we love the most. We meditate on the words of Genesis, from dust you came and to dust you will return. Dust, ash, speckles. From dust you came and to dust we all will return. But dust isn't debris or waste or leftovers. Dust doesn't mean it's supposed to be trampled on or left behind or blown away. What if that dust, the dust of us, is pixie dust? A little glitter, a little glow, a little mystery and miracle too. Pixie dust is the stuff that's made when the mundane and the miraculous touch, when heaven and earth touch, when all things human and all things holy mix. Our dust is the stuff of God. Glitter and gold, ember and ethereal, mystery and miracle, we're marked by it. And we will return to it, every single one of us. And so like every child who has completed that journey from life to death before us, and like the sparkling children of Peter Pan soaring through the night sky, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we land, we rise, we can fly. Amen.